As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! The presenting sponsor for today's episode of Can't Wait is Visa, a network working for everyone. Welcome into the Can't Wait podcast. The Jets look for their first win of the season as Derrick Henry and the Titans come to town. I'm Marissa Morris, joined as always by the Athletics Jets beat writer Connor Hughes. We'll get into how the Jets are going to defend Derrick Henry and the Titans offense. But first, like every episode, guess where we're going to start, Connor? With you having your flu game like Michael Jordan? (laughs) Yes, I'm dealing with a little bit of a sinus infection, but obviously we're going to start this podcast with Zach Wilson. You wrote in the lead of your story this week, Connor. Three games, the Jets have had three first half points. In three games, they're averaging 6.6 points per game. And after three games, they rank 30th in the passing offense, 29th in rushing, and 30th in total yards. Yikes. Offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur took the blame for the offensive struggles this week. What did he have to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he did his best to to sh- well, he like he he took the blame while also not necessarily deflecting the blame, but I think it was a nice way to describe the 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 what coaches mean when they say they want to simplify things, you know, because you hear that a lot when when a defense is in a rut or when an offense is in a rut or when things just aren't going well for a team on a specific side of the ball, they always bounce back with, well, simplify things, simplify things, simplify things. And, and LaFleur kind of made reference to that's what he needs to do for the jets, but the way that, or what he means by simplify things is not make the offense simpler, simpler, but simplify the terminology and, and explain it to the offense in a different way, basically try to reach these players because that's, that's what's not happening with this offense. And I think that's in a way what's not happening with Zach Wilson, because this, this scheme isn't or is considered extremely quarterback friendly. This scheme is considered the one that's perfect for a quarterback to have success in. And it's a little surprising when you look at Zach Wilson, you see a 55.2 completion percentage, 620, 628 passing yards, two touchdowns, seven interceptions, an 0-3 quarterback rating, aside from a second half where he looked very good against the Panthers, 
he did not look good against the Patriots and he did not look overly good against the Broncos. So this has been a tough acclimation for Wilson and you've seen it result in, as Salah said, extra hitches where he's taking, you know, where when the ball should be going out, he's holding it a little bit longer and, and that's leading to quarterback hits and sacks. You've seen um, him see the open player, him see the read that he's supposed to go to then hesitates slightly, almost as if he's thinking, "Is am I really seeing what I'm supposed to be seeing? And then fire the ball. But at that point, when he fires the ball, it's too late. The throwing lane's closed. It's batted down or it's intercepted. Um, you're seeing a guy that, as the games go on, as these struggles mount in the game, his mechanics and technique are a little worse in the second quarter than the first quarter. They're a little worse in the third than the second, and they're worse in the fourth than the third. I mean, that's when you start seeing him play hero ball, and he's throwing off his back foot. He's throwing into tight coverage. He's bouncing passes. He's overthrowing passes. It's just not great. So how do you not just – so, I mean, again, you have this system that's so quarterback-friendly, quarterback-friendly, quarterback-friendly. Well, why can it be so quarterback-friendly and so great for quarterbacks and all that? And then you have a quarterback that's struggling as much as Zach Wilson is. And, and basically the reasoning for it is that it is the best system for a quarterback. It is great for a quarterback, but the quarterback needs to know the system before he starts to thrive in it. That's why you kind of saw the year in San Francisco or two years in San Francisco before that offensive system took off. You saw the year in Green Bay where even Aaron Rodgers struggled some before he took off and had an MVP season last year. I mean, it's not one that just, Boom, you get it right away. And I think you're seeing Zach and the offense as a whole experience those bumps, experience those bruises, take a few shots on the chin, as Robert Sala said on Monday with the fighting anecdote and the fighting analogy, or not yet, uh, fighting analogy and anecdote. And, and it's taking him time before he gets there. So how do you um, how do you expedite that? How do you get it to a point where he understands it better. Well, it's it's going to be, you have to find a way, as Salah said on Thursday, to simplify things. And you can't simplify the scheme because that's just going to make the life easier on the defense. So what you have to do is you have to simplify the way that you're explaining it. So maybe it's changing the terminology some. Maybe it's shortening the terminology some. But Marissa, they have to end up doing something because it's very, very clear that right now it's not working. Yeah, what like what do you expect to see different this week? I mean, if there's one thing that you say, okay, Zach Wilson is, you know, not throwing off of the wrong foot or like what is one area that you're like, all right, you know what? They did simplify things for him and he, that there is an improvement from last week. That's the thing is is what's it's so and this is whole this is like Salah's thing every time we ask about the offense and every time we poke him about the offense and we say like, "Oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong?" And all he says to us over and over and over again is that it's not one thing. You know, that's that's what he he keeps saying is that it's not one thing. It's not. And, and you know, we talked about this on, on the show on Monday. I'm not so sure that's a great thing. You know, when you've got one hole to plug in the dam, I would think that it's a lot easier to say, OK, there's the one hole. There's the one area where we've got an issue. Let's go fix that one issue. And then we know we're going to be fine when you've got. 15 holes to plug in the dam and every time you seem to patch one another one pops up i don't think that's good you know so in in the opener against the panthers the jets couldn't run or pass block to save their lives i mean just it was a it was a human pinata back there with zach wilson 
And the run game was just as bad, despite the fact that that was, you know, a, a game for the large part. I know the Panthers are undefeated and Sam Darnold's playing really good ball. He did not play really good ball against the Jets in that opener. He did not look all that great in that opener against the Jets, especially once the Jets were able to kind of contain Christian McCaffrey a little bit more. And Sam stopped just dinking and dunking to, to Christian. I mean, it was one big throw to Robbie Anderson, then maybe a back shoulder one to DJ Moore. And that was pretty much it. So I don't necessarily, you know, it, it, so that, that was the problem, right? It was the pass blocking run blocking was, was the problem in the opener week two, they could run the ball. They, they ran the ball incredibly well. I mean, they really did. They ran the ball incredibly well week two against the Patriots. They kept Zach Wilson upright until the second half when you had to play hero ball and hold the ball longer, wait for guys to get open. And then they started teeing off on them a little bit, but they protected them. The problem was Zach Wilson kept throwing interceptions through four picks. Then you get to the Bronco game, and that's when everything went wrong. You know, you, you saw the, the late interceptions from, from Zach Wilson, which were probably a result of him just having to be overly aggressive to try to get the Jets back in it. But even if you remove those interceptions from it, he missed passes early in the game. He missed passes midway through the game. It wasn't a banner day for Zach Wilson. The offensive line, obviously, as we saw, could not run or pass block at all. Uh, the offensive line struggled to run block, and then Michael Fleur, by his own admission, aband abandoned the run far too early because the Jets ran the ball just 13 times. You had receivers drop the ball, which became an issue in week two, which wasn't so much an issue week one, but was an issue week two, and then really an issue week three. And it was just everything fell apart. So I don't necessarily know if I can say, okay, the Jets simplified the offense, so it fixed this. The Jets simplified the offense, so it fixed that. I don't necessarily know if there's that area because I don't look at this Jets offense, Marissa, and say, oops, I automatically like threw my pulled my mic out. Um, I don't look at this Jets offense and just say, if you can fix this area, everything's fixed. I, I don't I don't see that because if you look at just the Bronco game, you're like, all right, they need to commit to the run more. They need to improve the run blocking so they can so it's an easier decision to commit to the run more. They need to improve their pass blocking. Their receivers need to get open more and stop dropping passes. And then Zach Wilson needs to stop the hitches, stop some of the indecisiveness, be more committed to his throws and get rid of the ball quicker. That's a lot to fix in just one week. And if you fix just one of those issues, it's not going to lead to this offense scoring 20 points a game. It's not. I mean, it's not going to – like when, when you talk about an offense, as you said, that has – Three points in the first half of games this season. An offense that is averaging 6.6, .6, if you want to round up 6.7, because it's 6.6 .6 repeating, 6.7 points per game. I mean, I think we said this on Monday. All a team has to do is score a touchdown and kick an extra point, and on average, they will beat the Jets. And that's not just an average, because they would have beaten the Jets in Week 2, and they would have beaten the Jets in Week 3 doing just that. Like, that's, that's where we are at with this offense so if you just fix and you commit to the run game and you fix the run game well all these other issues that's just going to take you to where you were against the patriots if you fix the receivers where they're catching better but you don't get the run game going and you don't get the the offensive line going well that just takes you back to week one when you lost to the to the panthers and if you fail to get everything fixed in one week well that's just going to take you to where you get shut out by the broncos 26 to nothing so i don't necessarily see it as a if you fix this, everything else is going to fall into place. And I asked LaFleur that when we talked to him yesterday. I said, is there, you know, we all look at the points per game. We all look at the sacks. We all look at the quarterback hits. We all look at the rushing and the averages where they're 29th in rushing, 30th in passing, 30th in total offense, and I think 30th in scoring. We look at all that and it's like, oh, look at all those stats. Look at all those numbers. Well, I asked LaFleur, like, is there a number that you see 
that's your analytical version or your statistic. You're like, if we could just fix this. Like I remember Adam was big on, on manageable third downs. Like Adam Gase was big about getting the Jets to manageable third downs. And if he felt the Jets were averaging like a third and four or a third and third and three, a third and three or less, the Jets as an offense would be able to get going. That's what they wanted to get to. And obviously they were never able to do that. And then the offense had a number of problems aside from just that. So I was curious if LaFleur had a, this is like the, the number that if we can improve in this area, that'll be fine. And he didn't have that number. He said, you know, there's not just one analytic. There's not just one stat. Maybe he was just saying that because he didn't want to tell me, but that's what he said yesterday. And when you look at the offense, though, I kind of tend to believe him because you don't see one problem where it's like, this is plaguing this team. It's so many different things that I don't know if there's one area I can say I want to see an improvement in. Obviously, you would like to see Zach Wilson not get his ass kicked for four quarters. You would like to see him not get beat up with a bat for, for four quarters and, and run the risk of, of him getting hurt every time he gets smacked as the game goes on and on and on. And the Titans have two pretty good pass rushers in Landry and Dupree that are going to give them some problems. But it's it's very difficult to answer that question. It really is. Well, one area that we've talked, again, a lot about is, is the run game. Um, how do they get the run game going? Will this help Zach Wilson if they can actually, you know, get some yards on the ground instead of having him to pass the ball every time? What do you What do you see versus the Titans this week with the run game? Yeah, it's, it can absolutely help them for just from the simple standpoint of of not allowing them to tee off, right? I mean, think back to the when the Jets' offensive line was playing like Garbo during training camp, right? And the Jets and they were just allowing six and seven sacks a day in training camp. The one thing that Solid told us over and over and over again, among other things, of don't be worried, iron sharpens iron, was that this that the defense knew that it was a passing drill, so they were able to tee off on them. So the defense, Carl Lawson at the time, John Franklin Myers, Quinton Williams, once he got in there, these guys knew the pass was coming so they could pin their ears back and just go after the quarterback. They could pin their ears back and go get them. And they didn't have to worry about the run. They didn't have to worry about play action. They knew they had to throw the ball, so they were going to go after him and try to get him. If the Jets are unable to establish a run, it's just a game version of that. You know, if you only run 13 of 50 or 60 plays, if you can't run the ball effectively on first and second down, it goes back to honestly what Adam was talking about last year. It's that the Jets end up setting themselves up with not third and three, not third and two, not where you can get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quick because, you know, you only need three yards to get the first down. Not where you can still give the defense the fear of the screen, the the run still to pick up two yards on third down, or the short pass, or even the long pass where everyone comes in short so you can hit them deep. When you've got, or when you have, I should say, with proper grammar, you have third and nine, third and 10, third and 11, third and eight. The defense knows you need to get the first down. You're not going to run the ball. So what they can do is they can pin their ears back. And that's what the Jets got themselves into last week against the Broncos is that Von Miller and all those guys, they knew that once they shut down the run on first and second down, once the Jets abandoned the run pretty much in the second half, they knew that Zach Wilson was going to throw the ball. So there was no fear of the run. There was no fear of the draw to Mike Carter. There was no fear of the sweep or the stretch to Ty Johnson. There was no fear of any of that. The only thing the Jets feared was 
Or the only thing the Broncos feared was, okay, is somebody going to get bias in the secondary? And honestly, they got to Zach Wilson before anyone could get through them to the secondary. That's why they teed off on him. And you had the quarterback hits and you had all of those sacks. So the run game is so important. And, and, and not only just for, for keeping Zach Wilson upright and helping Zach Wilson, that's what this offense is predicated on. Like that's what the, the Mike Shanahan system, which Kyle Shanahan then took and made even better in terms of like revolutionizing it to today's NFL and the 49ers and the Packers, even with Aaron Rodgers, like the Packers more so implement a lot of those short passes as, as a, as a handoff to the running game, but still they want to run the ball with Aaron Jones. The, the 49ers want to run the ball with their stable of running backs. I mean, that's what the jets want to do too. They've just abandoned it a little too often. And, and I guess they abandoned, I should say they abandoned it week three. It did not work week one uh, at all with running the game against the Panthers. They just got dominated up front. But they need to get back to that because that's this offense's bread and butter. And they need to stick with it and they need to establish it. And once they establish it, they can build off of it. Because if you have a rookie quarterback making his fourth start and you're telling him basically like, hey, we've got no run game. The defense knows you're going to throw it. Go out there and beat him. It's leading a lamb to slaughter. And Sala did say it this week. He said he's not worried about it. But he said, I'm not worried about it yet. Is that you've seen a number of quarterbacks who just get pummeled and just get beat up, and just get destroyed early in their careers. And it basically takes a sledgehammer to their internal clock, and it can ruin them. Obviously, the extreme was what the Texans did to Carr, David Carr. Like you, that, That's the extreme of it. But there are so many other quarterbacks that have been ruined or hurt or had their development stunted by what happened to them early in their careers. Zach Wilson, as we said, through three games, has been sacked 15 times. He's on pace to get sacked 85 times. He's on pace to be hit well over 100. Um, forget the pressure. Forget the hurries. I mean, dealing with that for 17 games. Well, he's not going to deal with that for 17 games because he won't last 17 games if this continues. But I asked Salah, like, is he worried about that impacting him long term? Is, is he worried about this having a long term impact on Wilson? And he basically said, no, not yet. And that's where I think that it it it's going to or has the potential, I should say, to to change because you cannot have a quarterback get beat like that. You can't have a quarterback get pummeled like that. You can't have a quarterback just destroyed and 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 beat into the ground and then expect him to just keep getting back up and it not having any long-term implications. We've seen that it does have long-term implications because of what happened to Carr, because of what happened to so many other young quarterbacks that dealt with this. I mean, Joe Burrow came out on the other side as we saw last night, but he landed on the injured reserve because of bad protection with a torn ACL. And he even made a comment after the game. If you listen to his interview with Colleen Wolf, he was saying that, you know, these short games, or these short weeks are particularly hard on me because of the injury I had last year. So he's still feeling the 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 effects from it. He's still feeling the remnants from it. You want to have that happen to Zach Wilson? And Joe Burrow wasn't hit nearly as much as Wilson has been through these first few weeks. I mean, it's been brutal. So one of the ways that you can alleviate that, one of the ways that you can take some of that pressure off of him is if you're able to get this run game going. At least make the defense think about what's coming. Make the defense question about what's coming because right now there is no questioning. There is no concern aside from that Patriots game in week one and week three against the Panthers against the Broncos teams knew that once they shut down the run, 
They didn't have to worry about the run anymore, and they could just tee off on the quarterback and tee off they did. And, and the Jets can't have that happen to their young quarterback. Well, another reason they're going to need to get the run game going is they are missing some guys at wide receiver. No Jeff Smith, no Elijah Moore, and Jamison Crowder is still questionable for Sunday. How big of a loss are these guys for Wilson and the offense? Well, Elijah's a big one. I know he hasn't gotten going yet, but that's more on Zach Wilson than it is Elijah Moore. I mean, when you go back and you look at the film and you watch the All-22 and you watch the game back, I mean, there, there's a couple plays like the – I did find out that the the first third down, I think it was the third down where uh, Elijah Moore ran an out route uh, and the ball bounced to him. That wasn't Zach Wilson. That wasn't a bad throw from Wilson. That was Elijah Moore ran his route too deep. Around, like That's a timing route and a quarterback's throwing to a spot, not a player. And Elijah Moore ran his route two yards too deep, which is why the ball or a yard too deep, which yard, yard and a half too deep, which is why the ball bounced to him. If Elijah Moore ran the route correctly, that's an easy first down pitch and catch. So, I mean, there's there's some miscommunication there, and, and you're going to have that with a young receiver and a young quarterback and, and that kind of a thing. But Elijah was getting open, and it was just a matter of Zach going from tunnel vision to Corey Davis to seeing the field, opening up more, realizing that, you know, and, and probably even to LaFleur some too, to call some designed plays just for Elijah Moore and stop going Corey, 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 like go to Elijah Moore. And uh, that that one's going to be felt. But now the positive of it is it does look like Jamison Crowder is going to be coming back. It does look like he's going to be out there on the field. He did a lot more in individual drills from when we were there. He's obviously been a, a, a participant heavier than what he has been. We've seen him in the takeoff drill and, and things like that. So it looks like it is trending towards Jamison Crowder playing. That will help. What I'm fascinated to see now is, is how the Jets trot those receivers out there because Jamison Crowder – does not have the ability to play outside and Braxton Berrios does not have the ability to play outside and do not shoot the messenger when I say this sentence, but the jets believe that Braxton Berrios is their third best receiver. They believe that their three best receivers are Corey Davis, Elijah Moore and Braxton Berrios. Those are the, and do not shoot me. This is as you can imagine, as you can imagine the, the, chat uh right now who they're calling to see on sunday but i'll just i'll just drop we'll get, i'll get there. to that i'll get to that um okay. so the they're that's who they believe are their three best receivers are barrios and they're at the slot but now barrios can only play the slot and jameson can only play the slot we learned that under adam gase those two guys do not have the ability to play outside receivers so if you go keelan cole replacing elijah moore outside and then Corey davis outside who's your slot i would think it would be jameson crowder because i think crowder's a better player but it would not surprise me to see that be a split or even a 60-40 split in favor of Braxton Berrios just because of how much the Jets love this guy. Um, but that's going to be a, a, a little bit of a shot because you just lose an explosive player. Because of everyone on this offense, you can loop in Corey Davis, you can loop in Crowder, you can loop in Keelan Cole, you can loop in Braxton Berrios. None of those guys are the receiver that has the ability to take a catch and score. None of those guys are somebody that's going to take the top off the defense where you have to be worried about them getting behind for the big play for the touchdown. Keelan Cole did it a little bit in Jacksonville and a little bit in training camp, but he doesn't have the ability to do it like Elijah Moore did it. So you now as an offense lose that big play. You lose that explosive. You, you lose that fear, although you haven't seen it yet in three regular season games from seeing it in OTA's mini camp and training camp. You lose the player that can just score at any point in time and you don't really replace him with anyone. So it's going to be a blow. And as you said, it's going to be even more imperative that the jets get things going on the ground with this team because they, they lose a 
big piece. Jeff Smith, not so much, but with Elijah Moore, they're losing a lot. They really are. Do you want to get into Denzel Mims? Yeah, we can. Look, if we don't see him this week, it's going to be bad. So, like, I checked in. I, I know that the Jets, what, what have been reported by NFL Network is is accurate. The teams have been calling the Jets for several weeks about Denzel Mims. I've, I've had that confirmed. Um, I, I, I know the moment that he was in, uh, the moment he only had three snaps and then was inactive, that's when the calls start coming because teams look at this guy and they say, okay, he's inactive. That means the Jets don't want him. Uh, he's 6'3". He runs a 4'3". Let's give up a pick, try to get him in here and see if we can't jump start. In the worst case scenario, alien concept here, we'll design a package of plays that amplify or exemplify his strengths, mask his weaknesses, and just trot him out there and see if we can't hit him for a big play or two down the field. I mean, teams started calling, and, and Joe Douglas probably, I wouldn't necessarily say for his own ego, but maybe a little bit for his own ego, he's not going to trade a second-round pick a year after drafting him. Like that was a guy that he picked in the second round, a second round pick to trade him one year after drafting him is brutal. And it won't be known as as bad of a pick as Christian Hackenberg was, but that's admitting you failed and you botched so highly in the draft and specifically in the draft where the Jets are accumulating all these draft picks, right? I mean, we're going to talk about in a, in a little bit, like the whole, like they got a fourth round pick for Chris Herndon who doesn't even have a catch yet. You know, they got two first round picks for Jamal Adams who was as a sacker and interception. Like all of these draft picks that he's acquired, he's he still has to hit on them. Having draft picks means diddly poo unless you get them. Look at the 76ers and the, 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 the process, right? Well, they missed on Nerlens Noel. They missed on Jaleel Okafor. They missed in their evaluation of how Ben Simmons would play with Joel Embiid or Joel Embiid with Ben Simmons. So they had all those picks that Sam Hinkie acquired. They had, they trusted the process. They got the picks. They got the picks. They got the picks. Draft picks don't mean anything unless you pick the right players. So Joe Douglas can acquire the entire first round of the draft next year. But if he doesn't pick the right 32 players, it does not matter. And so for him to just give up on a second round pick, which is a major piece of this rebuild, it's a major red flag that he not only picked a player, but now that player can't get on the field and now the Jets are giving up on him. So the Jets aren't willing to trade him, but that doesn't mean Mims doesn't not want to be traded because there was like his representation and, and him are getting pissed off. They're angry because they have, I've been told there's their, their teammates of Denzel Mims is that have gone up to him and said, you know, you're, you've had a great week of practice. I don't know why you're not out there. You're one of our top four, top three guys. I have no idea why you're not out there. And LaFleur just refuses to put him out there. The Jets offense refuses to put him out there. Saleh refuses to sign up on him putting out there. I know I know for a fact that Joe Douglas wants him on the field. I know that. But it's not his decision. Joe doesn't have control over the players that see the field, which is the way that it should be. The coaching staff has control of the guys that see the field. And Mims hasn't done enough for them to see the field. Now, what I'm very fascinated with is that Elijah Moore is an outside receiver. The Jeff Smith injury does not impact Denzel Mims at all because, as we theoretically, if you if you if what the Jets have said to us is truthful, Jeff Smith being hurt does not change anything with Denzel Mims because Jeff Smith is strictly a special teamer who occasionally checks in. He is, as Adam Gase has said, he's their best gunner. So Denzel Mims, as we've learned, does not play special teams. So that doesn't impact him. That might activate, that actually might lead to the activation of Vincent Smith. And then by Vincent Smith getting activated, 
he'll see the field as the Jets gunner. The injury that would push Denzel Mims up there would be, theoretically, the Elijah Moore injury because Elijah Moore now is an outside receiver. He goes down. Denzel Smith is the, or Denzel Mims is the next one up because honestly, he's the only one that could be up because he's the only one that isn't active on game days. However, Jamison Crowder is now coming back. And Jamison Crowder is the guy that we're starting to see. So what does that mean? Right? Because if Jamison Crowder is back and the Jets have to activate Vincent Smith to be the gunner, Vincent Smith is also an outside receiver. Vincent Smith has the ability to play receiver and gunner. Denzel Mims can only play receiver. Knowing that Smith and uh, Moore are both out, neither Mike LaFleur nor Robert Sala talked as if Denzel Mims was a lock to be on the field. If Vincent Smith is activated, it would not surprise me to see Denzel Mims still be inactive and that the Jets go out there with Keelan Cole outside, uh, Keelan Cole outside, Corey Davis outside, Jamison Crowder or Braxton Berrios in the slot, Jamison Crowder or Braxton Berrios backing him up, and then Vincent Smith, who is your gunner and also has the ability to play outside and actually had a very good training camp and and training camp and, and preseason. And the other thing, too, is Vincent Smith was working with the number two and number one offense, splitting time there towards the end of training camp before he got cut and then landed on the practice squad. So common logic would say two wide receivers are out. Denzel Mims is up. I don't necessarily know if that's going to be the case. I don't. And, and it would not surprise me to see them activate Vincent Smith, have Vincent Smith be that guy and have Denzel Mims still be inactive because Jamison Crowder's back. And that doesn't make sense to me. Um, I don't agree with that. I, I've been very clear on this podcast for several weeks now that Denzel Mims should play. That even if he's not one of your top four overall receivers, even if he doesn't play special teams, he still is bigger and faster and more athletic than so many other guys. He still has a skill set that can help you win games on Sunday. So put him out there with a design package of plays, with a few routes, rotate him in there. Like you, I mean, look, the Jets are rotating in uh, uh, Tim Ward at defensive end. They're, they have this constant rotation of defensive linemen, right? Where I mean, uh, Quentin Williams is only playing like 70% of the snaps because the Jets are constantly rotating guys in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. You're telling me it's impossible to do that with a receiver? That you need that Denzel Mims needs to know all three receiver spots before he checks in to do the 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 three things that he does exceptionally well, what better than anyone else on this field, better than anyone else on this team. He he does three things exceptionally well. He gets deep. He can he's an incredible linear player. He draws defensive pass interference calls, and he has the ability to high point passes. He does those things better than anyone else on this team. Does it better than Braxton, even though Braxton's a better slot. Does it better than Elijah right now? Does it better than Corey Davis? Does it better than Keelan Cole? So why don't you, if you're this offensive mastermind, if you're this great offensive, if there's this great offensive system, why can't you get him on the field and then use him in the ways that he does things well? Why can't you do that? Even if it's just 10 plays, even if it's just five plays, even if it's just throwing one up to him and having him draw a DPI or having him make the catch or having the defense just see him out there and realize that guy can go deep. We need to pay attention to him which in, ten, in, in turn takes some of the attention off of Corey Davis, which we've learned from Corey Davis this week. Teams are spending so much time on him, so much attention on him 
that he's not having the space in the room to operate like he did in Tennessee because everyone's just saying, well, we'll take away Corey Davis and have someone else beat us. Why not check Mems in for at least where a defense can think about him? And they're not doing it. And they don't do it this week with all these guys down. There's going to be a phone call to Joe Douglas that says, I don't give a shit what you want. Trade him. Trade him. Trade him to somebody who's going to use him. Well, that will definitely be something we will be watching on Sunday. Um, we also will get to very quickly the Titans offense and how the Jets plan on defending them. But first, a quick message from one of our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Jets could be catching a break this week. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones potentially out on Sunday. How different does the Titans offense look without these two playmakers? Well, I mean, it's 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 two guys that you don't have to worry about. You know, the one thing that I, I go back to when I look at this, and, and it's it's similar to me when I look at this offense to the offense that I looked at with the, the Giants back in the year after they won the Super Bowl, their first Super Bowl in 2007, when they had – Plaxico Burris outside, and then you had that insane offensive line, and you had a great rushing attack with Brandon Jacobs, and uh, I think it was Der- uh, Derek Ward, the guy who ended up going to the the Buccaneers, and Ahmad Bradshaw, though Bradshaw didn't play too much. That was like the earth, wind, and fire year. And the thing that made that offense so dynamic that everyone talked about was the rushing attack, because that was the year that 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 Brandon Jacobs and Ward each ran for a thousand yards. And then Ahmad Bradshaw, I think, had like 500 or 450, 500 yards as well, just himself. But the key cog in, in that scheme and the key cog in that offense was actually Plaxico Burris. And everyone worked together in that because you had a receiver that was so physically imposing and so dominant as a deep threat, high pointing the ball that you had to shade coverage his way and you had to keep a safety over top because if you didn't burris was just going to destroy one-on-one coverage but then if you took the safety and you took the coverage and you focused it on burris that meant that this great giants offensive line and those two running backs were going to expose a simple seven-man front so you had to keep eight to eight to nine guys in the box to shut down the run but you couldn't keep eight to nine guys in the box to because you had to focus on Plaxico and take Plaxico out, out deep. So it was a great mismatch for opponents. And one of the reasons why the Giants that season, if I'm not mistaken, started started like 10 and 0 and were the odds on favorites to repeat as Super Bowl champions before Plaxico went to the nightclub, uh, hit a gun in his sweatpants, started to fall, reached for it, shot himself in the leg, and then everything went to shit. When you took Plaxico out of that equation, though, the Giants' offense started to falter. They were knocked out in the first round by the Eagles. If I'm not mistaken, that was like the Donovan McNabb picking up the phone on the sideline game. So with that, 
you saw how the offense changed. Like it wasn't necessarily about Plaxico being better than the offensive line or Plaxico being better than that running game. It was how the running game and the passing game married together to create an offense that was so difficult to defend. It's very similar with this Tennessee Titans scheme. When they have Brown and they have Julio outside, you can't put nine or 10 guys in the box or eight or nine guys in the box because you're giving one-on-one coverage outside to Brown and Julio. So those two guys are going to destroy. I mean, you're covering Julio Jones one-on-one with a corner. And even if you shade to Julio's side, you're now one-on-one with Brown. And if you shade to Brown, that's one-on-one. I mean, it's a matchup. And then if you say, okay, we're going to, we want to take away the pass. We're going to cover those guys. Well, now suddenly Derrick Henry, who's the most physically imposing running back I've ever seen in my life. And I'm only 29, but like my, my in life is now running against just a seven man front. So it's such a perfect marriage of pick your poison. Okay. You want to stop the run? Good luck doing that anyway, but now we got one-on-one outside. Okay. You want to play coverage? Now we're just going to run the ball downhill. When you take though, forget one of those guys out of the equation, which is probably one of the reasons why the Titans went out and, and, and got Julio, because if you take Brown out of the equation last year, you know, you can, you can maybe shade it towards one and now you just can, you can, you can deal with Corey Davis. Now, I mean, you got it either Brown or Julio, which is probably one of the reasons why they went there. But like, if you still had one of those guys, if you still had Julio or you still had Brown, you still got to think pretty heavily about that. If both of those guys can't play and neither of those guys practiced on Thursday, if you remove both of those guys from the equation, well, suddenly, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, there's no one else on that, 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 uh, t- Tennessee Titan depth chart that scares you. There's no other receiver that makes you say, Oh no, there's no other receiver that makes you say, Oh, I have to watch this guy. There's no other receiver that makes you say like, Oh my God, I I need this player, blah, blah. I need to shut this guy down. So it allows the jets to say, okay. And the Jets secondary isn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but it allows them to say, okay, we're going to man up on the outside or we're going to play our zone on the outside. And we can now put all of our focus on stopping the run because here, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the depth chart. Like you're, you've got, if, if Julio and Brown don't play, the next three up on the depth chart are Josh Reynolds, Nick Westbrook, Ikeine, and Chester Rogers. I'm going to be totally transparent with you, Marissa. I've heard of Chester Rogers. I have no idea who those other two receivers are. Josh if Reynolds told was on the Rams uh, the past few years. Okay, Texas did... A&M. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Wow. How did you know? How did? Where is that one? How did? I mean, that. How do you know him? Because that's like a random name to just know, especially the Rams. I don't think you watch Rams football, do you? I just knew he was on the Rams. Okay, continue. Is there a Rams pod? I'm fascinated how you do that name. Yes, we have a Rams pod. 11 personnel. If anyone wants to go check it out. Wow, good. Wow, I'm very very impressed. Mm -hmm. I'm very impressed that you knew who Josh Reynolds is. What about Nick Westbrook Akine? Don't know him. I've been spending a lot of time with Zach Berman, who can, like, randomly during a pod, uh, Bo Wolf will shoot out a guy and Zach has to name the college he went to and almost every oh, time I'm a college fan every That's time I, he gets it it's so let impressive. me guess this guy Josh Reynolds go for like 150 and three touchdowns against your uh your Terps um no I don't think they played no they didn't play them but hey yeah, you just know big Maryland game tonight versus Iowa battle of the games in the big 10 go Terps yeah. is it tonight I might actually watch that one yeah I want to see tonight two or it's, two a, it's a very big game very big game 
Yeah, I do yeah. want to watch Tua's brother. See if yep. see if the hype is real. He's going to get my Heisman vote that I don't have. Okay. Um, but seriously, like just to real quick wrap it up. I mean, you're, the Jets, although Marissa can give you the whole scouting report on Josh Reynolds, the Jets are not afraid of Josh Reynolds. They're not afraid of Westbrook Akine. They're not afraid of Chester Rogers. Like they, they even as in their current secondary state, even without Marcus May, they're going to feel confident with Mike Carter, Brandon Eccles, and Bryce Hall, three guys who have played well above expectations and exceptionally well considering what expectations were. They're going to feel confident with those guys keeping those three in check. They might catch their first downs. They might get a few plays, but they have confident keeping them in check. So that should allow them to say, okay, we're going to focus all of our attention on shutting down Derrick Henry. Now, can they shut down Derrick Henry? Will they shut down Derrick Henry? I have no idea because I've never seen anyone as physically imposing as this guy, someone this big. And, and the way that you stop him is the same thing Jeff Ulbrich said, is the same thing that John Franklin Myers said, is the same thing that Quincy Williams said, is that you just have to run through him, is that you have to find him, hit him, and run through him. Don't arm tackle him because that's going to kill him. That's going to kill you. Just load the box. Get 11 hats to him, and if the first guy doesn't bring him down, make sure three, four, five, six, and 7 do. Just keep going at him, keep going at him, keep going at him, keep hitting him, try to shut him down. And if the Jets can shut down that run game, which gets exceptionally more realistic to say that they can shut down that run game, it's more realistic to think that if Brown and Jones don't play, which it doesn't look like Brown and Jones are going to play, it's just it makes everything easier. It makes everything so much easier. All right, we are going to go to one more quick break, but after the break, Connor will give his prediction for the game and our can't wait pick, so stay with us. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Connor, we've talked a lot about this matchup. What do you? How do you predict the final score? And do you think the Jets could possibly get their first win of the season? Uh, no, I don't think they get the first win of the season, <laughs> but I think they can cover. So I, I saw the lines fluctuating between like seven, seven and a half. Um, the Jets are not one of my best bets. They are not one of my my top picks. They're not one that I'm putting any money on this week. Um, however, I do think that if that line's seven and a half, I do like without Brown and without Jones, I do like the Jets' ability to keep this one relatively close, I think. So if I had to bet this one, I would probably take the Jets at home at seven and a half point dogs because usually when you're home, you get like you usually start with three points at least. And and so I mean, I, I think they could probably keep this one reasonable or keep this one respectable um if brown and, and jones play that would not be the case at all but i think they can keep this one close to at least potentially cover but no i don't i don't think the jets first one of the seasons coming this week i think that the best chance for that comes against the patriots and a couple or against the the falcons in london all right well let's briefly get to our can't wait picks this kills me to say it but connor you are leading the charge at four and two i am two and four and New dad, Tim, one and five. He's got to step up his game. You know, he's been a little distracted the past few weeks. So, Connor, no what, are the, what are the three games and three spreads you're watching this weekend? First one I'm going to go to, it is the Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. Now, I am operating under the presumption that Justin Fields is going to start this game. Not that it matters because I already put my money down on it. But that Lion team is significantly better than what I expected. They're a team that plays hard. 
which I guess you'd expect from a Dan Campbell team. Jared Goff, I don't think is overly good, but he's at least giving them confidence at the quarterback position. That is something that the the Bears did not have last week with Fields. That offensive line imploded. Fields looked like he was seeing ghosts. I mean, that team finished with, I think it was one net passing yard, which is just absolutely absurd. So the fact that I know the Lions aren't very good. I know the Lions haven't won, but the Bears are one and two. So if you can get the Lions, and I see this line moving, it looks like it's moving in the Lions' direction. When I bet it yesterday, I got it at the Lions plus three. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to ride. I actually love that game because I think this is the one where the Lions get their first win of the season. They're a hard-fought team. I think they're going to be able to keep Justin Fields in check. I like so much about that. So for my first bet, I'm going to go with the Lions plus three. My second one, I'll admit this one I'm, I go back and forth on, and this is more just one that I'm, I'm taking as a leap of faith, and it's another underdog. It's the Colts at the Dolphins with the Colts, the underdogs, plus two. Uh, obviously that means the Dolphins are favored by two. I just can't imagine the Indianapolis Colts start this season 0-4. I, I really can't. I mean, I think Carson Wentz is still a talented quarterback. He should be a little bit healthier now from the double-sprained ankles. I think that the Colts still have a pretty good defense. I think the Colts are a very well-coached team with Frank Wright. I know Quentin Nelson's out, but still the offensive line isn't awful. They should get the run game going. And the Dolphins with Jacoby Brissett, I know they came back a little bit against the Raiders, but I think that was more the Raiders playing down because for three quarters, Brissett was awful. Like that, that team was not good for basically two and a half, three quarters. And for some reason, the Raiders let him hang in there. That game went to overtime and the Dolphins almost won. I think the Colts win this game. Maybe it's because I just can't imagine that team being 0-4. Maybe it's because I don't believe in Jacoby Brissett. I don't know. But for my second pick, I don't feel as good about it as I do the Lions, which probably means this will be the only game I win this week. But I'm going to take the Colts plus two. Uh, final bet of the week. It's the Chargers against the Raiders. I think the Chargers favored by three at home. I don't think the Raiders are nearly as good as their undefeated record says. I don't think the Raiders are nearly as good of a team as some people are making them out to be. And I think the Chargers will expose them because I think the Chargers are a very good team. They've got a good pass rush. They've got great receivers. They have the maybe the second or third best quarterback in the NFL if you take out Aaron Rodgers from that equation or depending on where you want to put Aaron Rodgers. I think Herbert is the real deal. I think he's a stud. I think that's a well-coached team. I think that's a fun team to watch. And at home against their rival, the second best team in that division behind the Chiefs, I take the Chargers. And I think this is where the Raiders start to come back down to earth a little bit. So give me the Chargers minus three, the Colts plus two, and the Lions plus three. And we're going to see if we're going to get that thing going again. If you want to feel frisky like you should have felt last week, take my picks and parlay them and uh, take your wife or significant other, uh, wife, husband, whoever out to a uh, nice dinner with the winnings. All right. Well, this is always fun because I like when I pick on the opposite side of you. So I am actually taking the Raiders plus three. Um, James uh, starting the week 0 and 1. You're going to start the week. Let, let's let's keep this moving. I'm taking the Raiders plus three versus the Chargers. Unfortunately, I also agree with you that I'm going Lions plus three versus the Bears. And my final pick, not as confident in this. I think I'm confident in this one, but Washington football team minus one and a half versus the Falcons. Um, the Washington football team hasn't been, their defense has not looked as good as uh, I think everyone thought they were going to be heading into the season, but maybe this is a get right game versus the Falcons. All right. And Tim is taking the Cowboys minus four and a half. Tim again, man, Titans minus seven. Tim loves to pick against the Jets. And then he is taking the Buccaneers and Brady back home in uh, New England minus seven versus the Patriots. Connor, any final thoughts before we get out of here? 
No, I mean, uh, for the Jets, I hope I hope we see some confidence on Sunday. I hope we see Zach Wilson play well. I hope that I can write a po- win or lose. I hope I can write a positive column because it's been very hard to do that the first three weeks because week one, he got destroyed. Week two was the four interceptions and last week was a shutout. So even if the Jets lose like 31-24, you know, 28-21, just something that 24-20, I mean, just some, something to get the 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 optimism flowing again in the Jets direction to say like okay they're headed in the right move they're doing things well the quarterback's playing well something like that just to to, to hopefully write something positive after the game I'd like to write a positive story this week Marissa that's what I want all right well one thing positive is Tim McMaster will be back with us on Monday to recap it all so there that might be your only positive of the game but let's hope we we get some positive some positivity on the field as well so thank you all for listening um if you have not yet got your athletic subscription it's still 50 percent off so go to theathletic.com slash can't wait we appreciate everyone listening have a great weekend and we will talk to you on monday